Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast, episode 181, and the first episode since our beloved Shane Whaley has moved on to new adventures. My name is Mitch Bach. I'm one of the three new leaders of Tourpreneur, and shortly I'll be joined by my partners Chris Torres and Peter Syme in later segments of a very special first episode. Normally, in the future, you're going to continue hearing the voices of your fellow tour operators sharing their story, their wisdom, their tips for your businesses. But today, we have something very, very special. It's one guest and one word, experiences. It's a word that you see everywhere you look. Tours and activities are suddenly now rebranded as experiences. You can probably blame Airbnb for it but now everything is an experience. It's a word that has become commonplace, sometimes feels overused. And I know there's a lot of you out there wondering, what's the difference between a tour or an experience? What's the point of using this new word and why are we using it? So it's fair to say that our special guest today has a few thoughts on this subject. His name is Joe Pine. And along with his co-author, Jim Gilmore, they wrote a book over 20 years ago called The Experience Economy. That book has made an immeasurable impact on businesses around the world. Uh, it's made an impact on me and Chris and Peter over the years, which is why we wanted Joe on today. I personally discovered this book accidentally back in 2001. I was a philosophy student in Paris, and I was just intrigued by the title. And I read it and I didn't even own a business yet. But then I started tour guiding and later I started a tour business and the wisdom inside this book revolutionized what I understood that I was doing. And I know the same goes for Peter and for Chris. We realized that creating a tour isn't simply a service or a product, it's an experience and it's meant to last forever, leave a lasting impression. And with that, Joe Pine, a huge welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Great to have you here. Well, th thank you, Mitch. That's one of the best introductions I've ever had. It's just great to hear your story there. Well, great. I've been working on it for three months. So, <laughs> Joe, I just wanted to ask you at the start, you know, you're not only the author of several books, you run something called Strategic Horizons. Could you begin just by telling us about the work that you do? Sure. Well, you know, I what I always say is that my purpose in business is to figure out what's going on in the world of business and de then develop frameworks to first describe what's happening and then prescribe what companies can do about that. You know, so I did that first with my first book, Mass Customization, then the Experience Economy, and then 
uh, authenticity. I also wrote a book on infinite possibility about creating customer value on the digital frontier. Uh, and, uh, and so what I do then is I do a lot of speaking, teaching, uh, workshops, consulting around the world to basically help people get that light bulb to turn on, like you said, happened uh, with you. And then get them to do different things as a result in their business to recognize that they're in the experience economy. Joe, so you're probably my most quoted author anywhere because I'm lucky enough to get to do lots of presentations around the world, lots of workshops. Uh, and I somehow always manage to squeeze you in, even if the subject is, doesn't seem uh, related <laughs> to begin with. I somehow manage to, and it is my experience from, we focused on tour operators. When we get down to the experience economy and where they sit in it, a lot of them are not really aware where they sit in it. And language is a difficult thing because a lot of people call stuff product, other people call stuff commodities, other people call stuff experiences. And I've always tried to use your guide of commodities, products, services, experiences, and transformational experiences as a, as a staircase of where an operator, a tour operator, a, an experienced provider, where do you sit in this? And that can be a whole day's workshop on its own because the hard reality is people don't really know where they sit in it unless they've, they've actually went through the process and thought about it. Never mind all the impacts of uh, the pressure of the outside market and where it can take you to. So can I ask you, for our guests, for our entrepreneur listeners, could you just talk through the experience economy, covering off then then five parts of the experience economy? Sure, sure, sure. Well, you know, so so if you think about it, it, it the, the core framework of the book, The Experience Economy, is this progression of economic value that describes how economies have changed over millennia that in the beginning was an agrarian economy based off commodities, you know, where you where you grew them on the ground, raised them on the ground or um, extract them from the ground. And then you sold them on the open marketplace. And then with the industrial revolution in the in the uh, late 1700s, we shifted to into an industrial economy based off of goods right, or products of physical, tangible things that we touch and feel. In the latter half of the 20th century, we shifted into a service economy where services became the predominant economic offering. Services being activities that we do on behalf of another, another person or, or another company. And then today, what's happened since uh, uh, the year 2000 is that we've shifted into an experience economy. An economy where experiences have become the predominant economic offering. That experiences are what consumers and also many businesses want today. And, and experiences are basically memorable events that engage each and every individual in an inherently personal way. And that's, that's what engagement is what creates that memory. Uh, a lot of people tend to think of, of experiences as just good service, right? No, they're, they're distinct economic offerings. Experiences are as distinct from services as services are from goods. You can think of it also where you use goods as props and services as a stage to again engage each person in that in that inherently personal way and and, and create that memory. Um, uh, Mitch, you talked about um, uh, the, you, the the overused word, right? That experience is overused word. Um, which which on the one hand I, I understand that feeling, but where I feel it's overused is when it's when people are really talking services as experiences. You know, they use the word experience for services, but it's not any more overused than 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 the, the term products and services, right? It's it, it is what it is. So right. And, and tour operators are in the experience business. That's what people are looking for. 
because the key thing is, is, is the core distinction between services and experiences is services are about time well saved, right? That, that you want to be nice and easy and convenient. You want a frictionless uh, interaction. You want uh, to be able to save my time. In fact, consumers today want goods and services both to be commoditized, bought at the cheapest possible price, um, uh, spent at least the, the, you know, with the greatest possible convenience so they can spend their hard-earned money and their hard-earned time on the experiences that they value. And that's what the experience economy means. And Peter, as you as you alluded to, there, there, there is one more economic offering uh, after experiences because just like goods and services we can buy, commoditized, experiences can as well. Because the second time you have the same experience doesn't tend to be as good as the first, the third time not as good as that. And if you get your customers saying, been there, done that, right? That's the hallmark of a commoditized experience. So, so the, the fifth and final stage in this progression of economic value is where you use experiences as a raw material to guide people to change, to help them achieve their aspirations, in, in other words, right? That, that we call a transformation. A transformation, again, the fifth and final economic offering, distinct from experiences, where you're, you're guiding people to, to achieve their aspirations, help them become who they want to become. We wrote, uh, my partner Jim Gilmore and some other colleagues of I wrote, wrote in January, February issue of the Harvard Business Review, an article called The New You Business. And transformations are about creating a, a new you. you know, so, so fitness centers, healthcare, uh, uh, education, management consulting, um, uh, coaches of all stripes are, are all in the transformation business. And of course, we increase, increasingly see that in transformational travel, where people are increasingly wanting to go other places and, and change some aspect of their life, whether that's well-being or digital detox or a better relationship with their, with their family or, or to make a difference in the world in some way. And so you can see it increasingly impact the, the, the tourism business. Thanks, Joe. I'll put on some context for our listeners. I, I was recently in Dubai. And I was using Ubers a lot because getting around Dubai is quite challenging if you're not using Ubers. So I was using Ubers a lot. I placed them purely in the service product even getting down to the commodity market but on one evening the uber took me to a hotel where i got picked up by the tour operator and then we're out for a desert experience into the late evening sun going down over the desert fire food all of that was a complete experience so in our world a lot of this stuff is interacting to be able to deliver the eventual experience uh, all still connected to travel all still connected to our industry us as operators really have to figure out where we sit in this in this ladder of experiences and this is very simplistic what i'm about to say but it, it does address quite a lot of our members half day experiences two hours experiences maybe a day's experience a lot of that is an experience it can be transformational for sure but a lot of it is an experience but when we move into multi-day tour operating which come at a higher price point People are investing a lot more time, as Joe says, time well spent. If someone's going to fly across the world for 10 days, they're investing a lot of money and a lot of time. That's where you're really looking to design your experiences into transformational experiences. And talking about the design of the experiences, I'm going to pass on to Mitch at this point. Yeah, I'm really interested in the phrase that you used, which is essentially an experience as a memorable event. There's nothing a tour operator wants more than for their guests to leave remembering a great time that they had. And you're right. Thanks for the correction. 
it's not overused. You use it when it's right. It's right, right. misused because yes, I see, exactly. <laughs> right? I see a lot of websites that suddenly are offering experiences and it's because I clicked refresh previously, it was a tour. And right. so I'm, I'm wondering if you could start with uh, breaking down in, 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 from your perspective, what does the word experience add or change about what a tour operator is doing from their tour? And keep in mind, you know, our tour operators might be walking around a city, um, going and visiting restaurants. They might be renting ATVs or bicycles to people or leading a tour on a bus. Uh, it's a wide range of experiences that are sort of all doing something. So what, what makes an experience for you? Well, you know, you, you remind me, uh, Mitch, of one of the, the key things we talked about in our book on authenticity, right? That we had these axioms of authenticity and, and, and summarize it. It's basically don't say you're authentic, just be authentic, right? And, and to, to a lesser degree, it's true with experiences as well, is, is don't say it's an experience. Don't put that in the label. I mean, a descriptor is fine, um, but just be an experience, right? Because because when you put the labels out there, you tend to set expectations that are higher than, than you might, might uh, otherwise. So it is, uh, it is important to be able to, you know, accurately describe what you're doing. But the most important thing is to have the right mindset that says you are, you know, that you're in the experience business. And then you start to put together all the different things. I like how um, uh, Peter talked to, uh, about that. Um, you're basically integrating all this stuff together, right? That you need the Ubers, you need the Airbnbs, you have the whole tourism package uh, is one that incorporates uh, uh, commodities, maybe even commodities, but goods, services, and the experiences, and then potentially that time well invested of transformation, right? Where that's what transformation are, is time well invested. By investing my time, that pays a, a compound interest uh, and, and dividends now and into the future, right? Because it makes a difference in my life in my relationships and, you know, in, in, in the world. So it is thinking about how you put together all of those things to be able to create the experience that you want, which starts with the mindset to recognize that you're in the experience business. If that's what business you're in, then you can figure out all this stuff without necessarily, you know, overusing the term. One of the things I love about the reissue of your book in 2020, I believe, a couple of years ago, uh, I picked up the new copy mainly because my old one was so dog-eared and written over that I wanted a fresh copy. But I was actually really pleasant, pleasantly surprised that you've changed some things up. And one of the things that I think I noticed was that essentially you've come up with almost these five buckets or categories for thinking about everything that you do. And I found that really helpful just in my mind. It almost for me, has become a toolkit of different ideas or, or techniques or tips that I can map onto what I'm doing as a tour operator. So I'm wondering if you could maybe, and I can help you. I don't expect you to have to have these on the top of your head, but I'm sure oh, you I do. Got them. I got them. <laughs> yeah, if you, could, if, if you could run through what these five rubrics are. Yeah, yeah, that is, it is you know, because I, I, rubrics a good word too. I finally settled on the word elements, but in my mind, it was always buckets too. It's like, that's the right word for it. Right? That's good. I, I, I said rubric because I said, oh no, buckets right. sounds <laughs> facile. So I had to come up with something fancier, but good. Exactly. That's the same with me. I think it was buckets, but you need something fancy, right? They are buckets. They're, they are things to think about, the, you know, five key elements of, of how to create experiences. Uh, and it does sort of summarize the rest of the book and all the experience design principles uh, in it, which is that you want to create experiences that are robust, cohesive, personal, dramatic, and even transformative. You know, so robust is about hitting the sweet spot of the experience. And we define that as an experience 
that um, um, has elements of all of, of entertainment, educational, escapist, and aesthetic experiences, right? We call that our 4E model that's in chapter two of the book. And if you if you have a robust experiences, you're, you're not just centered in just one, you reach out to all the others. You think of tourism as primarily escapist, for example, you're going from one place to another. Uh, and But if you are entertaining while you are escaping, if you're education, if they're learning things while they're there, if, if you create aesthetic elements where people just want to hang out and be, then you're going to have a more robust experience that's more engaging and compelling as a result. Cohesive is about the theme of the experience. You know, I, and I don't know if, if, if theme has a bad word in, in, in your part of the tourism industry. In many places, people think about it. Well, it's Disneyfication. It's, it's over the top like Disney is or it's in your face like theme restaurants are. But in our terminology, basically, it's just the organizing principle for the experience. It's how you decide what's in the experience versus what's out of that experience. And what a theme does is it makes it cohesive. It makes it hang together. It makes it so you're not just you know, having everything but the kitchen sink, as we'd say over here in the U.S. Um, so, so, so create that theme that, that gives you a laser-like focus on this is what we are, are producing as our ex ex experience. And then personal is about the fact that you do have to reach inside of people and make uh, experiences that engage them inside. And the best way to do that is to customize good services and the experiences overall to be able to create that, is that so many experiences are mass experiences, that you do the same thing for everybody, you don't do, do anything differently because of this particular individual or this family unit or this, this group of people that are together. And you need to think about them as individual living, breathing people and what you do differently for them. Uh, dramatic, of course, is all about you know, the, 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 if you go back to the original edition you bought, Mitch, uh, the subtitle was Work is Theater, remember, and every, every business is state. So it is all about the theaters. How do you direct your workers to act? How do you get them to, to uh, recognize that they're on stage and not do backstage activity on stage? Give them principles of, of uh, acting, basically, is what, is what it's about, because that's how you engage people as well as the overall drama of the experience, right? Great experiences are never flat, right? Flat means nothing is happening and, and you're not gonna have a good experience. You need to rise up to a climax and come back down again. And if it's a multiple day journey, all right, every, every day has to rise up to a climax and come back down, right? You know, like, a, like an episodic journey, but with the overall flavor of across the three, four, five days, two weeks, whatever it is, that you rise up to that climax across each of those uh, of the whole period as well as across each of those those days and finally transformative is what is what we talked about is going beyond the experience to recognize what are the aspirations of each individual person and one of the techniques that's in the harvard business review it's not in, in the book that we introduced is it's an old uh, total quality management manufacturing technique but it's simply asking five whys right okay you want to go on a tour well why do you want to go on a tour right and then whatever the answer to that is, what is it? Why do you want to do that? Why do you do that? Until you get down to a core root thing. And often it's like you're going on a tour with a family because, you know, like my, my kids are, are, are getting older. They're, they're tweens and teens and they don't care much about dad anymore. And I want to be a hero to them. Right. You get down to that aspiration. OK, then how do I affect that and make and make dad be a hero to his kids again? Uh, and it just would make a huge difference in, in what you're doing if you can understand those individual aspirations. I hope Pete and Chris weren't planning on talking anymore during this podcast because <laughs> that unlocked about 872 questions in my mind uh, because this is everything. This is the meat of what a tour operator does. I think on the core level, 
what you're doing is giving us some words to put to what so many of us do intuitively. Uh, I I can see probably listeners right now, their heads going, well, yeah, I do that. I'm trying to be entertaining. I'm trying to be educational. Uh, and, and, And yet there's something important about designing an experience and not just crossing your fingers and hoping that guests feel that way at the end of your tour that in a certain sense there's just an intentionality about thinking through the state uh the stages of i'm just waiting for you to pause mitch so i can say the word is intention intentionality (laughs) exactly the right word exactly unfortunately i have a i have a pausing problem (laughs) (laughs) you know uh it's interesting that you brought up the first edition of the book though as a staged experience because you're right it is a dramatic performance uh in other words it's it's like storytelling in anything that we do whether we're watching a movie or or we're dating somebody uh it's 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 it, it begins it goes somewhere and then it finishes or or maybe it doesn't but on that level uh i i know you talk about not your four e's but five e's in other words five different sort of uh uh moments in the journey of a guest's tour and i was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about that yeah it's funny yeah so when you think about dramatic structure right i actually have there's a, there's different models for a different number of stages or whatever. There, the, you know, the classic one is a seven stage Freitag diagram. If you go to theater school, you'll learn Freitag diagrams. And there's seven stages. Of that. There are I've got several three stage models. I got a one stage model. You look, if you ever looked at Hero's Journey, it's a 12, 12 stage model uh, of dramatic structure, but also includes, of course, in there the transformation that the hero undergoes during that that time. But the five-stage model, I think, is the one that's 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 uh, easiest for people to understand and to use. And it is partly you got the mnemonic of all beginning with the letter letter E's. But it's about um, um, enticing, entering, engaging, exiting, and extending. Right? You think about your, your your business in terms of those five E's. So enticing is how do I get people to want to become part of my experience, uh, to want to join in the tour, uh, so to speak. One of the ways in which I, I, yes, market it, but also recognize that for any business, the best way to generate demand for that business, whether it's commodity, goods, service, experience, or even a transformation, is with an experience itself that is so engaging that people can't help but pay attention, uh, spend their time with you, and then and then and then pay up as a result by buying your offering. And that's true with experiences as well. Um, then, then you have the entering. So, so people often don't think of the experience as, be, as beginning until they're there with you. But no, you, you need to entice them to become part of it. That's where the experience starts to begin. And then entering, what are the first impressions you make? What are the first uh, things that you do? Including like, how do you actually get into the place and get onto the boat, if that's what it is, or into the park, whatever it might be. Uh, you need to think about your first impressions there. It sets everything else up. And then engaging is the lion's share of the experience, you know, and all, all five elements have to be engaging, but this is why they're coming. So this is what you want to measure, major on and put the money in to have that great climax that you bring them up to. And then exiting is the last things that, that happen. And, and uh, Daniel Kahneman often talks about the, the peak end rule that says you know, to put your money in the climax and in the end because they remember that end um, you know, often more so than they do the climax. So you can't just say, okay, show's over, ride's done, go home. You've got to give them an ending experience, perhaps a signature moment there. And then finally extending is how do you extend that experience through time? One of the great things about the rise of social media is it's so much easier to do that with social media than it was before. 
but you want to extend that. Why? Because one of the things extending does is it cements their memories. If you remind them of things, if you send them photos, if you if you uh, sh get them to sort of relive that experience and cement those memories, and then the chances they want to come back or they want to tell other friends and have them come back or they want to post it on social media and so forth. And so that extending really becomes enticing for many other people as well and brings you back down into, into that cycle of, of five E's. You know, I love these five E's because I think it's easy for any operator out there listening to create essentially an experience map of what they're doing. Write down those five E's and then be intentional, our little I word, not an right. E, but an I. You Be intentional about each of those stages. And we, we, Pete, Chris, and I talk about this all the time. It's about understanding that the entire experience is the customer journey, the entire customer journey from the first email. Are you creating a sense of enticement, of excitement, of suspense uh, in that email? Or is it just a boring, commodified service <laughs> industry style email? Here's your reservation number. Begin, begin that sense of journey. And, and uh, I think along that way, sometimes, as I've talked to operators, they get overwhelmed by the, the idea that they, ne they need to be doing more or they need to be adding to it, especially that level of personalization. You talked about, you know, one of the five rubrics as personalization, you know, oh, now I have to do all of this individual work. Are there, are there some tips that you might have for thinking about this process, this design process, or this approach to their tour without it feeling like an extra added burden to what they're doing as, as, an, as, as a tour business? Yeah, well, a, a lot of it is, 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 not, is not changing what you do, but how you go about doing it. And it, so it's, it's taking the things that you're already doing and then adding that level of intentionality, right? The, the design it just to that next level that says, yes, it, it, where everything fits together. That's where the, having that organizing principle, the theme, really does help this whole process all along because then you've always got that in mind. And one of the things we talk about in the book is after theme comes, uh, comes impression. And impressions are basically five to eight adjectives or adverbs about what you want the experience to be like. And if you, and if you have those in mind, then you simply come back to those every time you're doing some, anything, anytime you're changing anything. Even how do the bathrooms look and how do I clean the bathrooms and what do people do when they're going through things? You can, you can do if you have that intentionality, that theme plus impression. And that then can relate very directly to the theater as well because there's, um, there's actually a, a, you know, the, um, a famous acting principles, act with intention, right? You get that word again, which is, which is basically perform this in order to what? Right. It's it's how you do what you do. That's the key thing with theater. Theater uh, is you're doing the same things, but how you do them can turn any mundane interaction into an engaging encounter. And those same impressions that you have for your theme can actually be impressions that you can give to your workers to act in this way. You know, my my favorite example is uh, not a tour directly, but um, a hotel system in, in San Francisco founded by Chip Conley uh, called Joie de Vivre Hospitality. And he, he always bought these older hotels and sometimes motels and then, and then split them up. But he did that with a theme and impression. And he always, and the wonderful thing was he, always, he did it by picking a magazine, right? That's sort of his meta theme, pick a magazine. Uh, and then five impressions about what, the, what is the, the, the essence of that magazine. And then, that, and then that allows him to redesign everything he's doing. The first hotel he did that with was the Phoenix Hotel in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. 
and he picked Rolling Stone magazine, right? No, and if he can capture the essence of Rolling Stone, then everybody who naturally loved Rolling Stone magazine would naturally love his hotel. And he came up with the five uh, impressions of he wants to be adventurous, hip, funky, irreverent, and young at heart, right? And that's how what he designed the hotel. It became adventurous, hip, funky, irreverent, and young at heart, and became, in fact, the place for rock musicians to stay when they played San Francisco venues, right? Without ever saying it had anything to do with music, right? He didn't want to pay Rolling Stone's royalties. And so you can take those same sort of impressions to your workers, right? So, okay, we want you to be irreverent, right? When they ask for directions, be irreverent when you do it. Be adventurous when you know, be, uh, you know, and, and, and represent young at heartness and, and so forth. So that's a great way to, to bring that intentionality into everything that you do in your, in your business. And I, I love that you say everything that right. I think sometimes a tour operator sees the bathroom break as a pause in the experience. <laughs> and then we get back to experiencing. But to a human being, we're still on the clock experiencing. And exactly. you, you made me think of uh, in Washington, D.C., there used to be a museum called the Newseum. And yeah. the thing I still remember about the Newseum were the bathrooms because they had little tiles uh, scattered throughout the bathrooms with news bloopers they were wrong headlines or puns <laughs> inadvertent or whatever and right. i can I, I can hardly remember anything else in the museum but i remember the bathroom breaks right. I remember, and 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 similarly you're right tour operators sometimes think the tour starts the minute it's 10 o'clock and our food tour begins but it doesn't it means how the guest is feeling before the tour starts when the guide and everyone else are just loitering around so i love that you said every everything and and coming up with those core words that you can almost judge the design of what you've done using right. uh Great. That's next excellent point. You can use it as an assessment as well as a design. Are we meeting these things? You could use it in surveys that you're doing and conversations that you're having with people. You know, you hear and and uh, uh, Joie de Vivre even had once this, this sort of design tool on its website that says like all, all the words are on there. Right? right, pick which words you want, and we'll tell you which hotel you should go to. <laughs> well, right, because design never ends. It's it's iterative. You take right. that feedback loop and then you redesign. Sometimes I've, I've met operators, they think, all right, I've got my tour and now the next seven years are about sales and marketing. Right. Absolutely not. Uh, the, 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 the economy that we're in is always evolving. And Pete, I know you have some questions uh, with Joe about the way in which the experience economy sort of changes what you as a business are doing over time. Yes, sure. Joe, so just so you're aware, Joe, our purpose with this group that we monitor, moderate and lead is to make these small tour operators more profitable. It's as simple as that. Yeah. We help them in all sorts of ways, but the end goal is to make these small businesses more resilient and more profitable because there's a lot of pressures on them. When you're a small business, one, two, three, four, five people, a lot of pressures, a lot of stuff to get done. Uh, and there's a, there's a theory I came up with. It's not a theory. It's like you and Jim stopped me being this. Uh, about 15 years ago, I was a busy fool. I was building businesses all around the world, tour operators in multiple countries. We were going hard, we were going fast, we were building customer numbers, but we hadn't really focused on where our experiences sat in the experience economy. Therefore, our pricing was all over the place because we were volume, more and more becoming volume driven, which, driven the, which drove the price down. So what I want to just discuss a bit here is where the experience economy is, some of the pressures internally from the operating itself, where you think you are in the experience commodity are, um, chain, are you a commodity, are you a product, are you a service, are you, which most, if not all of our listeners are, experience providers, 
the pricing of that, a little bit and transformational, but not just the internal pricing. We're all operating in a market and the market comes with pressures. So if I just use a, a quick example in the, the tourism world, when I first started traveling, getting on an airline was an experience. It was a huge experience to me. It's not an experience anymore. It's a commodity market. <laughs> it's actually probably going past being a commodity to something that's quite a painful experience as well as just being a commodity. Uh, I actually don't believe the, the airline industry needed to go down that line, but they have, and it's going to be hard to reverse it. So if we just discuss a little bit about the market pressures on an operator that can move their experience, maybe up market or down market. Yeah, yeah there, there, there are constant pressures. I often say, you know, businesses can never stand still. It's always evolving. You have to pay attention to what's going on. And I imagine, uh, uh, Peter, that in the last two years of the pandemic, it's been a you know most trying time ever uh, in the in the tour industry. And I saw you know many that actually went from you know physical experiences to digital experiences in an attempt to survive, and many have done that very well, and and actually will have you know ongoing digital um, um, experiences they can, they can sell. But you have to pay attention to what's going in on. And, and one of the one of the key things that, that's happening, and you mentioned it uh, earlier in your, in your introduction with with Airbnb, is the rise of experience platforms. And I think this is something that every tour operator needs to understand. That that increasingly, you, it's not a point to point sale. It's it's got done on a platform, whether Airbnb Explore or me, Airbnb Experiences, uh, Amazon Explore, or uh, Red Balloon, Virgin Experience Days. You know all these different things. I've written on 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 this topic recently, uh, but how do you fit into that platform? And that's where you then need to understand that that uh, one of the things that affects your your experience, right? One of the pressures that you face is what happened to them earlier in their trip, or what they're going to afterwards, but particularly the the early part of it, because as they are set up, it can affect the experiences that that that, that they have with you. So, you know, that, that sometimes you have an experience that is so perfect because you were primed for that experience, whether knowingly or, or unknowingly, whether intentionally or accidentally. And, and sometimes you have a terrible experience because you're, you're negatively primed to have a bad experience because of what happened before. Like, get, you know, like getting just off an airplane <laughs> where you've had this terrible uh, uh, experience. It doesn't set it up for that first thing that you're going to do, but it gives you an opportunity to you know, sort of change them around. So I think you know one of the things is to is, is that if you're sold on experience platforms, to try and get a picture of that entire experience to see where you fit in in the overall uh, picture of what their their vacation is, for example, then you're able to um, uh, maybe be able to do things a little differently, customize things a little differently based on what they've done before, what they've done after. I've actually worked with tourism districts, you know, one in particular where where we're talking about. Uh, how you how you set everything up? I, I mean, ideally, what I want them to get to the point is that that every 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 uh, destination, every place in the tourism district has a a single relationship with with every customer that's shared across that. So that that what you learn in one place can then be used to customize in another place. What happens in in one place can then set up what happens in another. And where they're all working together as if they were, you know, one company that that uh, that uh, has a, a great learning relationship with each customer. And I think we need to think about how we how we do things like that. Uh, the market pressure of of um, 
of uh, uh, pricing is, of course, very important. Um, but but so often people, I mean, if you're getting into the volume business, it can be different. But so often people, you know, sort of discount their prices in my mind too readily. And 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 what it does is it's a commoditizing effect, a self-commoditizing effect that you're focusing people on price rather than on the value that you provide. Um, and and I'll, I'll mention one principle that I can offer to your tour operators uh, that I first noticed uh, um, probably about 20 years ago. And now I've seen it in various places, but I think more and more tour operators can, can take advantage of this. Uh, and, it's, and it's what I call paying labor. That, that one element you can get is, is to get your customers to pay you to work for you. <laughs> You know, where, where I first noticed this was I took the family on vacation to, to Hilton Head Island. And we were looking at all these brochures in one of the restaurants, whatever there. And one of them was for a, a shrimp operator. And he says, come, we'll take you on a shrimp boat and get you to experience shrimping. Uh, and, and it had like a $25 per person fee, if I remember right. Uh, and then it had these lines at the bottom. And it said, it said, you'll even get to share in the catch. And I went, wait a second. Share in the catch I mean we're not getting it all. I mean, what they're really doing is they're still selling the shrimp to others. This is not just a tour operator. This is a working shrimp boat that's getting people to come on board and work for them during it. And I think this, uh, this notion of getting people to pay you to work for you is, is, is can be a great one in, in many places. We've done it ourselves. Uh, my partner, Jim Gilmore, and I with our Think About events. So we had paying labor, we called it, where we said, you pay extra and you get to come work for us during the event. You help us set up in that. And of course, they're getting access to us early in the other sort of like, like early access to to some experience, like you know, you go to Disney World and you get in an hour earlier than everybody else. You know, it's part of the effect. But I, I do think it is an opportunity that uh, the the tour companies can take advantage of. I remember there was an Airbnb experience uh, that was simply called the startup experience, and all you were doing was going to an office and watching somebody work on their startup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, there's other ways of doing it. I mean, I'm no longer an operator of some operations. But I'm still on Airbnb experiences because I use it as my gym membership. Customers okay. pay me to take them up a mountain, which keeps me fit at my age. I need to keep reasonably fit still. I'm a bit <laughs> lazy now, so forcing me to go out, unless someone's actually paying me to force me to go out. So I treat right. Airbnb experiences as, as my gym membership. That what is if, fantastic. Of, I've never heard of that. Otherwise, I just wouldn't go. So one of the opportunities <laughs> I see as the market's changing into an experience-led market. In tourism, going back to when I started in tourism, it was always transport first, accommodation second, experiences bolted on once you'd sorted out these two big things of transport and accommodation. And the market still is predominantly that, yeah. transport, accommodation, and then experiences. However, because we've moved into the experience economy, and I would argue that the pandemic has boosted this even more, People have been led more and more by their passions, by their interests, by what they want to do. And they're searching out what they want to do before they arrange the transport and they arrange the accommodation. Now, for that, our sector as tour operators providing the things to do, the passions and the, the interests for them, that is a massive opportunity, huge opportunity. And the switch has been quite pr pronounced. It's quite a big switch. Still the majority doing it the other way, but that switch has put small operators into a really quite powerful position. Because going back to your point where you're joining all the different bits together, you right. then can start to have an influence 
over the other bits that are sometimes not such a great experience. So you can just start design the whole package for the guest, not just sitting in for two hours here or three hours there, but designing the whole package and communicating them pre pre-activity. That that I see as a as as an opportunity as the market changes. One of the threats and opportunities is as we do become more and more platform driven, platforms by definition aggregate. And when you aggregate, it comes with opportunity to sell a lot more product, but it also brings in comparison and price pressure. Therefore, really differentiating your product, your experience there. So in my opinion, when you're on a platform, you don't want to be the cheapest or even in the bottom quartile of the, the cheapest there. You actually want to stand out from being right. the higher price. And a lot of our operators think they're forced into going the lower price, which takes us into my old world of being a busy fool again. We want to stay away from being a busy fool and start being a productive. I'm still a fool, but hopefully I'm a, <laughs> I'm a busy fool. Excellent, excellent. I was just going to uh, move things on to transformational experiences, but before I do, I just want to pick up on Mitch's comment about the, the experiences with even things like the bathrooms. I, I always remember going to a, a restaurant in Scotland um, uh, I went to the bathroom as you would you do, but in the bathroom, what they were doing is they were playing Billy Connolly uh, over the the tannoy in the bathroom, and just the sight of seeing a bunch of guys standing at your rhinos laughing their heads off is is it was was just a sight to see, and I actually can't even remember what I had to eat in that restaurant. That's the thing that I remember was standing at a urino and just laughing my head off listening to Billy Conley. So it's just, I just thought I'd point that one out. <laughs> but, uh, but in terms of transformational experiences, you know, for me, this is something that fundamentally can change the being of a person. You know, it, it can change how they think, how they feel, um, what they experience in future tours, activities, whatever it is they're doing, uh, uh, even in their work-life balance, all these different types of things. Now, I remember when I went to uh, Japan, um, though me and my, my wife were going to go for a couple of weeks. The company uh, persuaded us to go for an extra two weeks. So we spent a month in Japan visiting all the different places that we, we never thought possible of seeing. And the two parts which were completely transformational for me was, one was actually sitting, having sake with a real geisha. And being in the room with her was just mind-blowing. No, I never thought it would ever be possible. Uh, and then the second one was actually seeing the sunrise on top of Mount Fuji. That mm -hmm. was just, no. again, we, no, when they told us we could do this, we were going, look, we're not the fittest people in the world to get to the top of Mount Fuji. Are you, is this, are you joking here? Uh, but no, it happened. Went through all the altitude sickness, all the heartache that came with that and everything else, but we finally made it to the top. And then, yeah, that's that transformational experience of being there and making it and everything else. Um, that, to me, is quite hard to do when... The, like the bulk of our, our listeners are day tour operators, you know, whether they're, they're doing spending time with a customer for an hour or three hours or something like that. Can a transformational experience in your mind work for, you know, for, for operators spending that little time with, 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 with their customers? Now, how do you see that sort of playing into, into only spending you know, one to three hours with, with a potential customer? Yeah, Chris, it's 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 difficult, right? It's obviously very difficult. The least the, the less amount of time you have, the more difficult it is to create a transformational experience. Although there are some there there, there are some that happen. I still remember uh, speaking at an Association of American Museums event, 
and I asked the uh, the audience, which are all curators in the museum, that how many people were there in the museum industry because of some experience they had in a museum when they were a kid. And it was about 40% of the hands that went up to the audience, right? Well, that's where you have that instantaneous, you know, uh, transformational experience, a life-transforming experience, we call it. Um, but it's hard to design for that. Generally, transformations take a series of experiences, including like with you and Mount Fuji, it's first of all, the realization that, hey, I don't even think I can do this physically. I don't know that I can do this, right? And then going through the, how long did it take, Chris, to get up the mountain itself? Oh, that was best part of a day, day and a half. Um, with a right, so you team. started the previous day, right? Got up there overnight and in, 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 uh, in time for, for sunrise and that. Mm -hmm. So that time that you spent there with its ups and literal, literal ups and downs, metaphorical ups and downs, mm -hmm. transformational ups and downs uh, that it takes to go up there. Uh, and, uh, and then you get to that point where you're ready for that sunrise that hits you at exactly the, the, the right time, right? It's hard to engineer all of that together. Uh, it's much easier if it's a series of experience over a series of days. But one of the things to think about too, is if you can get repeat business where you can build on top of what you've done in the past, uh, and, and, you know, not all tour operators get that, but there are some where, you know, that people are coming to the same place every year. Uh, like we go to Hilton Head every March, you know, that we could have that relationship that we're going to come and we're going to go through this so that over time you can build on top of the experiences that they have. You can also again think about, as Peter and I were discussing, uh, being able to connect to other tourism places during that, and, and, and it, it, which can be a hub and spoke model like the hotel that you have and then all these spokes or it can be a, mm -hmm. an interconnected model is then how do you build on top again if you all know what the aspiration is you can all think about what your what your element uh, in that is and be able to to bring it together to create over the course of it a a transformative uh experience it's it's difficult to do uh it requires forming relationships but i think that's what a lot of associations are for right is good let's get the association in a destination bring people together and let's make this happen mm -hmm. And I suppose it really is about knowing who your customer is, isn't it? So, If I could just add on that, Chris, it, we tend to think all our customers are the same, but we haven't got enough customer personas because being in tourism, we deal with quite a wide range of people. Yeah, very much but so. To give you an example of one of the businesses I just sold, which was a, an adventure business, canyoning and rafting, their normal customer persona, did they go through a, a, a transformational experience? Probably not. They had a great day. They had maybe a weekend. Probably wasn't transformational, but we had a niche that we operated when was with severely disabled kids and severely disabled adult, mm -hmm. adults. These are people who are fully wheelchair bound, sometimes from the neck down, and, and we're taking them out in quite challenging and dangerous rivers, canyons. For them, that was transformational. Two to three hours in a world that they believed they could not possibly operate in, but we created that that was transformational for them. Mm -hmm. So for, for our guests, sometimes it's a case of not just ignoring the fact that you're in the experience economy with two, three hour experiences. There may be a customer niche that that two, three hours could really be like really transformational for. Yeah, that's a beautiful idea. And, and you think too about the caretakers for those people and how that can yeah. be transformed and see the difference that happens uh, with those under the care during their time, is it is it also think about the design of the experience for them as they see what's happening uh, uh, to what's going on to the people under their care? 
Yeah, I suppose that's part of 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 when you create the experience. It's creating an experience that is the absolute best experience you can possibly deliver, because uh, ultimately it's the, the other person, it's the consumer, will decide to it's them will decide if it's a transformational experience to them because everyone's different. So it's just making sure that you you create the stories, you create the the atmosphere, the experience for for them in the best possible way, and, and let them decide if it was a, a transformational experience. Yeah, I'm wondering if we couldn't introduce a mini transformational experience term that allows us to sort of access some of the values that we have of these long, incredible transformative journeys, but applies to something very easy in an hour. An example for me was just last week, I was at the Grand Canyon. There was a moment where the adults didn't want to hike anymore. And so I took a group of teenagers and we went to the end of Hermit's Rest. And I said, nobody, nobody takes the bus this far. We went to the hike and we just hiked into the canyon until there was a moment where we turned the corner and you could feel the wind of the canyon inside of it. And we sat there for 10 minutes in total silence. And these were teenagers. They didn't look at their phones. They just sat there and felt the canyon, looked at it. And at the end of the day, you know, we had just seen the seen the Grand Canyon. We had hiked. We had done all of this stuff. And they said the most powerful moment was that. Right. And th- there's nothing huge or long about that. It was just 10 minutes of silence, 10 minutes of poetry. And I know, Joe, you talk about that a little bit, about how these sense moments or these personal moments can mean an outsized amount compared to everything else that you do. Yeah. Yeah. You said, so first Mitch, that was a wonderful thing that you did. <laughs> and then two, I, it, it, yes, you can have these moments that create a lifelong memory, right? So they're not transfers transformational in terms of, I didn't go back and I'm not doing something different because I had that moment. But as you connect that moment to other such moments, and maybe get people to realize, you know, hey, I'm going to be a lifelong hiker, right? That, so they transform from non-hiker to, to hiker, or I'm going to explore nature. And, and, and so you can create a transformation, almost a welling up of transformations from moments such as those. Sometimes one, one moment like that can be the thing, but often again, you, you connect these moments together. If these are friends that you went with, then then I'd look for the next time. You know, try to do that exact same thing. What's another spot where you can take them without their parents, right? I love the idea that the adults gave up. Or you get out with the parents, you get them to a place they've never been to before. You get them. And today, for a teenager, if you can create a moment of 10 minutes where they don't look at their phone, you have done something <laughs> wondrous. <laughs> If I could get my kids off their iPad for 10 minutes, it's a miracle, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was, I was wanting to sort of finish off by asking, you know, we're seeing a, a huge or a huge movement towards digital experiences uh, over the next five years. It's just what's coming ahead of us is just going to be incredible. You know, we have obviously we've seen VR sort of coming, coming more to the fore. We've now got a lot more self-guided apps. We're seeing autonomous vehicles. You no know, um, friends of Tourpreneur Alex Bainbridge is even developing things for AI tour guys and having that side of things happening. With the digitization of, of so many things happening in the world, how do you see the experience economy fitting in with the digitization of a lot of these different types of products, not just in tours and experiences, but in, in life in general? Right. It, well, and, and that's why I wrote my book, uh, Infinite Possibility, and talking about, uh, about these issues because the stuff that's coming through in technology is amazing. We're, we're still not there yet. I mean, I wrote that book 10 years ago and you thought you're on the cusp that, well, we're still on the cusp. I mean, there are amazing things you do. Um, but one of the things I always hasten to add 
is, is that recognize that as far as experiences go, reality will now and forevermore provide the riches of experiences, right? You, you think again, just about Mitch's story, right? Mm -hmm. You cannot have a VR experience that gives you that moment in that canyon of the wind hitting your face. Even if you simulate that, as long as you know it's not real, right? We can talk about a matrix at some point, but as long as you know it's not real, then it's never going to have the same experience as being in, in real life. But what virtuality, what using all this digital technology does, it, well, there's several factors, but, but the primary one is it enables you to experience things that are impossible in reality, things that you cannot do, whether that's visiting Mars, whether that's getting um, uh, center seats at an NBA playoff uh, game, um, you know, whatever it might be. There are so many things you can't do, flying and, and so forth. Um, but what I think will provide, what we'll see is this fusing of the real and the virtual, that, that there'll be things where, where like augmented reality, where we're getting digital objects that are presented to us inside of a real space, or we're still experiencing the real world, or what I call alternate reality, which is like Pokemon Go, or I'm exploring different environments, right, in a game, like I'm bringing a game out into the real world. And I think that's the probably the, 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 the method of fusing the real and the virtual that has the greatest promise as far as experiences go is getting people out into the world exploring it because of the game that they're playing that's being enhanced by digital technology uh, i'll mention also another great thing that digital technology does is it enables that being personal that i talked about because anything you can digitize you can customize mm -hmm. and once it enters the realms of zeros and ones you can instantaneously change a zero to one and vice versa so digital technology enables you to actually mass customize your experiences as well as the services and the goods uh, to individual customers because you 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 put it all into into zeros and ones. Yeah, I think a lot of the operators know, and I know Mitch and, and Pete will be the same that we speak to is that they're almost fearful of what's coming because they see it as something that's going to basically replace them or, or something like that. Whereas we're saying actually, no, if anything, it's going to do two things. It's going to enhance the experience that you're offering. You no, know, you could have an autonomous vehicle turn up, pick you up at your hotel. You have an AI tour guide taking you around, you stop off somewhere, and then you actually meet a real tour guide who will take, continue that journey, do what they need to do, come back and go back into the vehicle and continue from there. So there's there's so many things you can do with those sort of hybrid type models or or just you know, bringing extra revenue for the operators and doing all these different things. But I, I just don't see it as being a replacement. And if anything, it's going to increase the price of in-person experiences because you've got these digital experiences, you know, bringing in some of that revenue and ticketing for some of the, the consumers at that sort of stage. But then you're you're almost like creating a more uh, VIP type experience in terms of this is, if you want to speak to a real person, you can charge a little bit more because you're going to have a, a more personal experience while you've got these digital products in the background. So to me, it's, I actually am quite excited about it. I think it can open up so many doors, but I know a lot of operators out there are, are a little bit fearful, at least some of them anyway, are a little bit fearful of, of, of that change coming. So. Right. And it gets back to that intentionality that if you intentionally understand you've got this change, what can I do with it? Mm -hmm. And recognize that an autom autonomous vehicle can be a pre-show for the live experience. It can be the enticing phase of that experience. It can set up and, and be able to prime the experience so that you, you have a much better experience because you arrive in a Thompson vehicle, which I can interconnect with and talk mm -hmm. with than if you arrived on your own where I had no interaction whatsoever. It's the first and the last of those E's. That last E is also extending, which right. means you have a relationship with your traveler even after you physically are gone. I mean, what I love about everything that you've shared this hour with us is that it's all good business.
It's the future. It's what you should be doing. Creating more value for your experience means you price on value and not as a commodity. You're no longer a five cent cup of coffee. You're a five dollar Starbucks Frappuccino. The uh, classic metaphor that you or or example that you begin the experience economy book with. I think the biggest opportunity. It's the one I use with operators all the time with the digital experiences coming because you're right, Chris, they are looking at more as a threat and an opportunity. And the opportunity is scalability. A vast, vast majority of our listeners cannot scale their business. They have a capacity limit of 5,000 customers, 10,000 customers, whatever it is. They just can't get past the scaling thing. With digital experiences coming along, an operator who's looking after 5,000 live guests can, in reality, reach 500,000 guests digitally that has only going to increase the price point of the live experience okay are we just about ready to wrap up and joe if you want to give us your final thoughts to our community of tour operators well my final thought would be to recognize again what business are you in you are in the experience business it's okay to use that term don't misuse it but you're in the experience business and therefore you intentionally design Everything that you do, every, every down to down to a gnat's eyelash. If you're if you think richly about it, you'll be able to create an experience that does that is engaging, is compelling, that is as as we talked about, robust, cohesive, personal, dramatic, and even transformative. I love that you say the word dramatic dramatically every single time. <laughs> it's good. It's memorable. Like that's memorable. A uh, gnat's eyelash is memorable. Again. Uh, I don't think we're asking any of our audience or any of our operators to do more and add more and pile on my more work to already your busy life, but rather to intentionally rethink through some of these core values that you have as a business, your core goals, framing what you're designing according to some of those um, ideas like come up with a few words. I love that idea, Joe. So we can't thank you enough for providing both something that is inspirational and, and incredibly practical for them. And I hope that as our operators move forward in their businesses, as we as a community of operators, uh, of tourpreneurs, that we sort of take this vision and take your ideas and bring them into our businesses in order to create a richer globe of of, of, of experiences out there. I mean, I think that's our goal. We're making people spend their time better more deeply and it's a responsibility and an exciting time to be alive because the the opportunities have never been better for us so joe i can't thank you enough we all can't thank you enough uh for joining us and um uh um thank you again thanks joe My pleasure. thank you thank you joe